Nelson? Leggings? No way! If my old man sees me in these, he'll kill me! You haven't seen your dad in years. Hey, today might be the day. Nelson? Papa? Is that you? You came back from the store! Who's he talking to? Let's admire Nelson's love of nature. Papa! Papa! Never leave me again! Alright, everyone inside, let's go! Let's go, boys! Make sure you use pine saw on those pine trees for that pine-fresh smell! Papa? Oh, for God's sakes, I can see why he left! Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're picking up on a lot of kind of dropped plot threads this episode. Right? How long ago did Rumple drop the uh, the card about what happened to David's father? It was like 10 million episodes ago. I thought the evil queen did that. Or did she just give David that coin? Or The card was from Rumple's shop. But you're right. The evil queen gave him the coin. Then he went to Rumple's shop to find out about it, and Rumple gave him the item card that had all of the information on it. And then Snow told him to just burn it and forget about it, and he didn't. But yeah, that was like 10 million years ago. Seriously. Uh, and oh boy, this is just a whole episode about David and his backstory. Weren't you clamoring to know more about David's daddy issues? Oh, God. Also, uh, Regina brought in... Robin Hood from the Wishverse to replace her dead boyfriend, Robin Hood. This is like that Black Mirror episode where the girl gets the boyfriend who's based on the algorithm of his online presence. And it's like this really tragic story because it's almost her dead boyfriend, but not quite. It sounds pretty Black mirror Yeah, it's pretty Black mirror Alternatively, it sounds pretty futurama well, it's sad, so it's more Black mirror I know there are sad episodes of Futurama. There are very sad episodes of Futurama. Let's get into this episode, which is Season 6, Episode 12, Murder Most Fell. Not the Patreon-only podcast done by the uh, gentlemen who do Tighten Up the Defense, which is a very good podcast about both the Defenders and the Teen Titans, although not at the same time. Wait, Murder Most Fell? Yeah, that, oh no, that one's about Howard the Duck. That's their Patreon-only podcast about Howard the Duck. That sounds awesome! See, a Teen Titans slash Defenders podcast is not really my jam, but oh man, I want to listen to a podcast about Howard the Duck. So I guess I have to give it to their Patreon. Apparently so. Speaking of Patreon, I'm kidding. We'll get to that later. But the episode... Well, I mean, you can tell people that we have one and they can give to it if they want. It's true. We do have a Patreon. And uh, once we hit a certain mark, we'll talk about The Descendants, the live-action Disney sequel series to their animated shared universe. Because did you know that their animated universe was also a shared universe? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk about The Descendants. Also, eventually, at some point, we're going to do a Patreon-only podcast that talks about Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Yes. But as for right now, we will talk about regular Once Upon a Time, where it is raining in the past in fairy tale land. Yes, it is raining on the past on David's, on David's parents, and young David and young James are asleep in the crib. Baby David and baby James. 
Yes, yes, they are they are infant babies and they are both very sick. And Robert and Ruth have no money for medicine. Excellent pull on David's dad's name, by the way. We just watched this episode and I could not remember it. Well, there was a reason I remembered it. So Dadvid and Ruth are trying to figure out what to do because they can't afford medicine for their baby's lung condition. It's very specific, but I guess that would be... Well, like they're wheezing and coughing. That seems like a baby thing, right? Yeah. When suddenly a dark force appears in the corner of the room. Yes, Rumpelstiltskin has come to offer them a dark deal. I love how Ruth immediately pulls a knife on him. She has good motherly instincts. She, Rumpelstiltskin shows up and she is ready to stab. Which, yeah. Now this is a story we already know, which is that Robert and Ruth essentially sold James because both of their kids were going to die otherwise. And in exchange, Rumpelstiltskin gave them the money to get medicine for David and James went off to live with King George and be Prince James. Yes. Uh, Rumpel's really upfront about this. He's not fucking around with them. He's like... Yeah, there's no tricks to this contract. He's very straightforward. Because you know what people in dire straits don't have? Bargaining chips. Negotiating power, exactly. Although, when Rumpelstiltskin's like, Look, I can give you the gold so you can buy the medicine to fix your babies. Dadvid tells him, Oh, we, ha- we have nothing to offer you for this. Ruth has two fairly powerful mystical items. Well, one fairly powerful mystical item and one which would come in handy if you were a king. Yeah, that's funny because the pendant that tells you if your first child is going to be a boy or a girl is useful to a king in a patriarchal society, but basically not to anyone else. Meanwhile, a ring that brings you to your true love is useful to everyone, but not really to a king who has to marry for political reasons. Yeah. Why wouldn't they sell either one of those objects to get the medicine for their kids? Right? Well, I mean, they don't because the story was written, like, five years ago. Yeah, they, they need to retrofit a lot of stuff. Rumpel tells them that instead of making them go through the agony of choosing which son to give up, he's going to flip a coin. Heads, he takes David. Tails, he takes James. Okay, I guess. I only bring this up because then he gives them that coin, and that is the coin that the evil queen will eventually give to David, setting him on this investigative course. So he flips the coin, he takes James, and Dadvid and Ruth have their sad, sad goodbyes to the baby. Yep. Enjoy being raised as a sociopath. Can you be raised Which one are you talking to? Yeah, right. I was going to say, could you be raised as a sociopath? But we've seen these two. This is a really good study in nature versus nurture because the two of them had completely opposite nurtures. Yeah, they had completely opposite upbringings. And yet both of them grew up to be people who are super cool with just murdering whoever. So Well, I mean, that might just be the place they grew up in. That might still be a nurture thing. Mm. It's hard to tell. The only real way you could tell is if, like, one of them had been raised in the world without magic or an entire or a different realm entirely. So you think just the nature of the society they grew up in was such that it didn't really matter under well, what morality you were being raised, you would still find... Well, you're still being raised with the... You're still being raised in the morality of the culture that you're being raised in. Mm. And life is just not that valuable in the Enchanted Forest. 
I mean, the evil queen breaks her henchmen's necks for choreography in a later episode, which we are going to get to so soon. We are so close to that episode now. Oh, God. So we cut from Rumple taking away baby James to David talking to his baby who is in just... His baby who is Emma, not his baby who's an actual baby. Right, because remember, he has baby Neil. Does he? Right. It's so easy to forget. But he's talking to Emma to congratulate her on not being murdered by Gideon. And he wants to give a toast. A toast to the most important thing in the world, which is family. And I find this interesting because this is supposed to contrast with what we just saw in the last scene, where they gave up their child. And here, David's like, you know what's important? Family. My family that I have around me right now. And his family that he has around him includes Regina, who is family through adoption and marriage, not through blood. Mm. And because the show, by placing these scenes in juxtaposition, is positing that James is not really George's son because he was adopted, it's interesting that they think we'll forget how it is that Regina came to be part of his family. Yeah, this is another one of those episodes that seems real down on adoption. I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, I'm sure King George was a terrible father, but this show just seems to accept as its premise that he's not James's real father. Like, you can be someone's real father and still be a terrible father. See also David's father, Robert. Or like any dad in this show basically right i mean we're talking about gideon so we could also see also rumple and what a terrible father he is or see again rumple re-classic neil yeah or peter pan re-rumple it's bad fathers all the way down speaking of the rumple family bell and maurice who tried to brainwash her out of being in a relationship by wiping all of her memories this show i swear to god So, David has a speech about how family's the most important thing. And how proud he is of Emma for defeating Gideon. And then, of course, he stares off into the distance because of how sad he is about, you know, Mary Margaret being in the magical sleep thing. And Emma tells him, don't worry, they're going to figure a way out of this. And then we go to David sitting on the front porch looking at a picture of Mary Margaret on his phone and being sad because he hasn't fixed everything yet. But also, it's a nice reminder that he has not woken her up for, like, a week while all of this has been going on. Okay, so my question is, he can regular sleep in this time, right? Yeah. Like, so, it's not even that he's been going a week without sleep. Okay, I do think he has been going without sleep, though, only because I think he would feel guilty if he was actually asleep asleep and hadn't woken up snow. Mm. So instead of doing the right thing and waking up Snow and, like, tagging her in, he's just staying awake and becoming increasingly useless. I mean, more useless. And also not bringing in Snow. It's it's really upsetting. If I'm ever in this situation, I'm going to be really upset if someone doesn't wake me up in the agreed-upon schedule. I really don't think you have Just to worry for about reference, that. reference, in case. Okay, in case it comes up. So his moping is interrupted by the ghost of his father. Very Hamlet. Very Hamlet. Now, 
I'm not clear if he's hallucinating his dead father because he has the coin or if he's just so sleep deprived that he's having hallucinations. I think it's supposed to be a legit ghost, but I honestly couldn't tell you. I know we talk about how good this show is when it leans into horror tropes, but this whole scene is shot very early 2000s American horror trying to be J-horror after the success of The Ring. Like, there's a whole bunch of flash cuts between him and the ghost, and then the ghost disappears and he falls down. Well, we talk a lot when this show does interesting things with camera angles, and in this episode, I, I mean, they must have needed to do it because of the way they had the effect set up, but the camera's very stationary while the ghost is flashing in and out, and I think that this whole episode is a misfire as far as tone. There's a scene coming up that's clearly supposed to be comedic, but the timing and the score don't match what was clearly intended to be scripted as comedy. I really feel like an editor could take the raw material of this episode and make it 100% better just by fixing the tone and atmosphere. It, this scene could be more horror and it would make it better. I mean, it's honestly just kind of a strobe effect between him and the ghost. Yeah. Well, and I'm saying if this was more horrifying, I would have more understanding for why David becomes so obsessed with finding out what happened to his father. Like, if it was... If the ghost was more haunting, David's motivation would make more sense to me. But I feel like then they would need to explain more about the ghost because... Again, I don't super remember how the subplot turns out, other than it kind of just fizzles, but I don't remember if there's a mystical reason for the ghost being around, or if David's just Captain Hallucinating Pants, but... Right? I mean, I think the show... Because of the way the show is, I want to think it's a ghost, but they have emphasized many times that David hasn't slept in a week, so that makes me think... That that kind of puts me on Team Hallucination. Hmm. I just, I think everything could have been better if they had made it more, more horrific. Maybe even if this ghost had been showing up for David in previous episodes. As it is, I just don't understand why David is so invested in what happened to his father. All of the sudden, out of the blue. Right? I mean, it's not even like they've had downtime for him to start thinking about this more. Like, there's actively other stuff going on. So, David is so freaked out by the ghost that he faints? I mean, I guess he falls over. He doesn't really, he, he must not have actually fainted because he doesn't appear to lose consciousness. It's pretty great because he's going face first into the ground when he starts falling, and then when he falls, he falls to the side. Yeah, amazing that. Hook runs up and is like, oh no, David, maybe you should have not stayed up for a full week. And David's like, fuck you, I don't need help from a dirty pirate. Oh good, we're going back to this again. Is it season three all of the sudden? Well, we're going back to Neverland-ish. I mean, actually, we're going to Pleasure Island, but they tell us Pleasure Island is right off the coast of Neverland, which actually makes sense. Yeah. Okay, wait, yeah. Please ignore my tone. That makes perfect sense. That tracks. When David stands up, he finds on the ground the coin. The coin that... Well, we already explained what the coin is. Yeah, so is... I feel like that lends credence to the whole ghost thing. True, but we know that David held on to the coin, so maybe it just fell out of his pocket. But you're right, that does definitely lean towards ghost. ghost. Mm. So, 
blah 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 credits we cut uh when we come back from the credits we go to regina's mansion where she's trying to get dream robin settled in wonderland and what she's trying to get dream robin settled into storybrook yeah wish robin is not used to things like alarm clocks or laundry fresh clothes so yeah i feel like they kind of wanted to do some of the stuff they did with hook like in his very gifable not knowing what a phone was scene but not so much yeah Regina's subplot is basically just being really awkward around a dude who looks like, but is very much not her dead boyfriend. Yeah, another thing that if we actually spent more time looking at the emotions of it, would have been a stronger story. As is, it's not exactly played for comedy, but it's also really not taken as seriously as it should be. Yes, it's just one of those it's just one of those situations that has so many implications that could add drama and emotion if we looked at them but instead we're just ignoring all of the implications and so what we have is just nothing just, it feels like it feels like wheel spinning and honestly going into an alternate universe and dragging the alternate version of your dead boyfriend into the real world and then trying to figure out what to do about that is a plot that should not feel like wheel spinning. It shouldn't be a plot that's addressed through Regina and Mary Margaret having coffee and dishing about boys. Okay, so Mary Margaret's awake now, but they never deal with Mary Margaret addressing the fact that they kept her unconscious for the for all of the Gideon stuff. Well, David wants to make sure he's, as we'll find out a little bit later in the episode, David wants to make sure that he's not just a, in the words of Hermes Conrad, big hallucinating baby. So he's decided to, I guess he does need her to wake up so he can get some sleep. Or maybe he just realized it would be super dickish to go to sleep and not wake her. But th- it's weird. It's like they needed Mary Margaret to be in a scene, but the way this plot is going, it doesn't make sense that they woke her up. So she has this scene, which is disconnected from the main action of the plot, and then we don't see her again without acknowledging what they did about the not waking up slash waking up Mary Margaret thing. You think she'd be more upset about the fact that she slept for you know an extra week i mean did they not tell her does she just think it's the next day and they didn't tell her anything's going on so she just woke up had a normal day and then went back to sleep without knowing maybe they did tell her that you know the thing david said about how he didn't want to wake her up until emma was back from the wish first do you think maybe they just told her about that maybe and she's like okay i'll be uncharacteristically cool with it Because, let's be clear, most of her dishing with Regina about boys is her talking about how, Hey, Regina, I know you went to the Wish first. I guess they did have to tell her about it. Hey, Regina, I know you went to the Wish first and got a copy of your dead boyfriend, but did you ever think that was fucked up and selfish and awful of you? Well, also, she's giving Regina a hard time for not telling him that he has a child, which, first of all, he has two. And secondly, no, he doesn't. He has zero because they're not his kids. Which Regina points out, Regina's like, he doesn't have a child. And he doesn't have a child. That child belongs to the other Robin. And 
Mary Margaret's like, that's exactly my point. No, it wasn't. This whole plot, it it doesn't... Nobody's acting correctly. <sighs> this isn't how you should be reacting. Speaking of not reacting the way you should... Hook is talking to Archie because he has butterflies in his tummy about proposing to Emma. Oh, and not even about proposing to Emma, but about asking David's permission to propose to Emma. Ugh, barf. Okay, so can you imagine? Can you imagine my reaction if a guy had asked my dad's permission to propose to me? I'm assuming negative. It would have been negative. Which, okay. I don't understand why women are still okay with this as a thing. Well, the thing is, they throw in, at the end of the episode, they throw in a token line, which all of the shows that have this as a plot nowadays feel the need to, where David's like, well, you have my permission, but you know it's really up to Emma because she's a modern woman who makes her own decisions. And Hook turns to the camera and he's like, yes, she is. I mean, I feel like we put this to bed with Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice already has this done perfectly. No, honestly, when Mr. Collins asks Mr. Bennett for Lizzie's hand, Mr. Bennett calls Lizzie in and is like, do you want to marry this jackass? And she's like, no, absolutely not. And he's like, okay, that's what I thought. No, you can't marry my daughter. And then when Darcy proposes to lizzie without running it by mr bennett mr bennett's like um lizzie i thought we told you don't marry a jackass for money and she's like no my first impression was prejudiced he's actually not a jackass and i love him and her father's like if you say so but there's so much respecting women's autonomy going on in pride and prejudice why haven't we figured it out yet I don't know. I, honest to God, don't get why this is still a trope. It feels like the sort of trope that should have died in the 90s. Well, here's the thing. It's not just still a trope. It's still a thing that guys do. Honestly, I was hesitant bringing this up just now because I know I have friends whose husbands have done this. And I know it's like they do have autonomy and it was respectful and about getting his blessing and if they had said no obviously they're their own modern women but why is this still a thing why is this still a thing you know what it reminds me of in a weird way in a weird way in that this doesn't really relate at all when we were watching the new aquaman movie and uh-huh. and the way they had the uh, mara arthur romance subplot where they hated each other and then they grew to love each other over the course of the movie sure i'm like This just feels like a really outdated trope. Well, enemies who become lovers, I think, is a trope in that it only ever exists in fiction. I don't think that's a real world thing. Well, not not enemies that become lovers, though. It's people who are forced to work together even though they don't like each other very much. Right. Those people definitely don't become lovers. Honestly, if I'm wrong and you became lovers with somebody who you had to work with even though you hated each other, please do let me know. I'm curious, but I don't think that's a real thing because let me tell you, I've had to work with people I hated and it did not lead to sex. I'm just like, is it really that difficult to have a story where two people genuinely like each other and then start dating and then get married? 
I mean, it is because you need conflict. But, I mean, it's Aquaman. They're trying to stop his brother from declaring war on the surface world. You already have conflict. You don't have to have this extra thing where the two of them dislike each other and are only working together for the greater good until the halfway point in the movie where they change their minds for some reason. So I was actually having a conversation with someone about queer relationships uh, earlier, and they were talking about how straight relationships are always presented in the media as adversarial, and we're the product of the media we take in. So, So then you see all those memes that the straights post about being in an adversarial relationship with their lover. Mm. Whereas in whereas queer relationships tend to be the two of us versus the rest of the world. Mm. I guess what I'm saying is the straights are not okay. I thought what you were saying is being gay gives you magical powers because that tends to be how that works out and this sort of thing. Yeah. Willow and Tara moved an entire vending machine through the power of being gay. That's an accurate statement of what happened. They what? Let me let me amend that. Willow and Tara moved a vending machine off the sheer power of Willow realizing that she maybe likes girls. Yeah, I was gonna say off of their intense lesbian attraction to each other, but yeah, yep. What were Support. we talking about? Right, right. Hook went to Archie for advice on asking David to marry Emma. Ugh. Which. Why are there like three men involved in this decision and not Emma? Why would you go to a therapist for this? I think he just went to him for advice as an advisor. Is there really no one better he could talk to? Does this, I mean, Archie doesn't even really date, does he? Not that we've seen. Okay, think about it. Who could he have talked to that would have given him better advice? Henry. Yeah. I mean, I know it would also be weird because Henry's Emma's son, and it would be talking to two dudes who are related to her. So getting David's permission to marry Emma is bad because she's her own independent woman. But talking to Henry about it beforehand is good because, number one, Henry gives good advice and could give Hook good advice. And also, when you marry a woman who has a child, you're forming a family with her and her child. So it actually makes sense to include Henry in that decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a really good point. He's joining henry's family unit exactly or he would be i'm, I'm not saying henry he, should be he will be he will be let's let's not play <laughs> yes i'm not saying henry should be able to be like no you can't marry my mom but at the same time you should be cool with he shouldn't he shouldn't he doesn't get to decide for emma what she does and does not do but if he's like no mom don't marry this guy that should carry some weight with Emma. That should definitely carry some weight with Emma. Yes. with any, If any child says that, but especially Henry, who knows what's up? Although Henry did say that she should marry that flying monkey that one time. Okay, it's not a perfect superpower. <laughs> Although his thing was like... His reaction to that, that was when we turned the corner on Henry. Yeah, it really he, was. And he's like, why don't you just marry him and like, if it doesn't work out, divorce him? Right, this was in a time when Henry didn't know about magic. So, he couldn't have been expected to know that the guy was an evil monkey. <laughs> this show. This show. So, David is watching a video of Mary Margaret on his phone, 
where she's talking about how she loves him and they can overcome anything and blah, 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 blah. Yep. So David being sad over the video of his coma wife is interrupted by the ghost of his dad, who's like, Avenge me! And David's like, you were a drunk who died in a drunk carding accident. I don't know what I'm supposed to avenge here. He's like, avenge me! I look enough like Dave from Happy Endings to be distracting, but not enough so that you would actually think I was Dave from Happy Endings. And David's like, no! It can't be! I can't be related to Dave from Happy Endings. He's actually charming. (laughs) He's kind of a dick, though, so it... Well, he's the Dave of their group. (laughs) Just like Dave is the Dave of the Storybrooke crew. Yep. Every group has a Dave. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get a flashback. We cut from Dadvid telling David to avenge him to Dadvid getting drunk in a bar while the barman scolds him for not being a better dad. I mean, how bad a dad do you have to be that your bartender's like, uh, no. Like, your whole business depends on this guy blowing all of his money on booze. And you're still like, you know, I don't feel good about this. Maybe go home and spend some time with your kid. I'll find other drunk people. King George enters the tavern, and everyone snaps to attention for King George. And King George hangs a lantern on how weird this is by saying, I know, I know it seems weird that I, a king from a neighboring kingdom, am in your bar, but here we are. Okay, so... I honestly didn't realize that David didn't grow up in King George's kingdom. I mean, I don't know that we even knew that before now, but yeah, apparently a neighboring kingdom. What an unnecessary detail. Well, I think it's kind of necessary. If if you're in the same kingdom as King George, there's it's too difficult to pull off the plots that we've had as far as David not being recognized as Prince James and then replacing Prince James and nobody noticing that David had gone missing. You know, all the stuff that happened. It just works better if they're half a day's ride away from each other. I don't know. The whole thing, I mean, I know it's contrived in the first place, but God, it just feels so contrived here. Yes. So the king needs help because his son has gone missing. Uh, He's not dead yet. He's just been kidnapped. Well, how do, you, how do you know he's not dead? I guess I don't. The king is assuming that he's not dead. He tells the people in this bar that he will reward anyone who brings James back and punish anyone who has information and withholds it. And Dadvid is like, cool, I have a kid who looks exactly like James. I can just turn him in and get more drinking money. Right. Okay, uh, question though. Yes. King George is from a neighboring kingdom. Is he going to every single bar? I mean, I would say he's going to this bar because he knows this is where Robert is. And he's just trying to dad vid, if you must. Mm. Because he knows where Robert is and he's essentially sending a message directly to him. But later we find out that he didn't even know that this guy was James's bio dad. So... He's just going to every bar within, you know, a whatever mile radius of his kingdom. Maybe this is the only bar in however much distance between his kingdom and here. And that's why the guy's not worried about losing Dadvid's business. Oh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, maybe. There's only three bars in existence. It is fake medieval times. So, 
Dadfed hears the news and doesn't actually think about selling David to the king. Instead, he's like, oh no, one of my groin spawn is in danger. I need to spring into action and rescue him. Yes, he goes home and tells Ruth that he needs to fix his broken family as David watches on from a loft. And it's like, I he's in a loft. I realize it sounded like I said a loft, like it's one word. He's, he's in a loft looking down on his parents. Mm. Anyway, my point is, maybe you should focus on fixing your broken family with the son you still have instead of running off to get a new one. Well, he he says maybe if I fix uh, maybe if I fix our broken family, it'll fix me, which is tying in to the just awful rumple plot of this season. But I mean, maybe you should be a better person without needing other people to make you a better person. Maybe you have to be a better person to deserve other people instead of other people fixing you. Yes, Ruth is very not yoked about this plan. She's very disapproving of him in general because she's like... Why wouldn't you be disapproving of him in general? Yeah, she's like, what kind of life would it be? You'd be saving him from being a prince to take him to a dirt farm full of poor, angry, hungry people like me and that that kid who lives upstairs. David comes downstairs and is like, are you really going to fix our family, Dad? He's conveniently missed all of the parts of this about him having a twin brother. Well, he's David, so he's only caring about the parts that are about him. Mm. I guess that part is inherent. Dadvid, Dadvid, is like, yes, David, I'm going to fix our family and I'm never going to drink again. Which is true. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, that's that's an accurate statement. <laughs> and so David gives him, for luck, his lucky coin. Okay, so... The... Let, let, let's talk about this for a second. Right? The coin... That Rumpelstilts can flip to decide which baby to take. He left behind. And as David grew up, they gave it to him as his lucky coin. I feel like there's a lot to unpack there, but I also honestly don't know what to do with that. I mean, I feel like you don't even really need to unpack it. I think you can just like throw open the suitcase and be like, they gave David this coin. And told him it was his lucky coin. Yeah. Yep. That's what happened. So, uh, Dadvid takes the lucky coin from David and gives him one final hug. I mean, I guess in fairness, they didn't say it was his good luck coin. Just lucky. That's true. It's like when people talk about wanting quality product, you can have good quality or bad quality. Quality is not, you know. Yeah. So back in the present, David has invited Hook to look at his Pepe de Silvia board. Yeah. Hook walks into the room and he's like, I'm so glad you invited me over because In our last conversation, you left it off with you calling me a pirate as though it was a slur word. And I actually have a really important thing I want to talk to you about. And and David's like, I need your murdering help. I need a pirate to help me with some dirty, dirty work. So check out this board and string that I've put together. What information is this, by the way? Yeah, let's examine this board. Okay, so he's got a picture of a box... He has a picture of a city, I think, a drawn picture of a city. He has a couple of surveillance pictures, and he's got a bunch of scribbles on paper. Okay, so 
I mean, essentially what he has is an exploded map. He has a large map of the city that he grew up in. And then all of the string just points to things that say what it is on the map that you're looking at, right? So he's got a post-it that says High Street. He has a post-it that says Tavern. He has a post-it that says The Tuffet. Oh, God. Which I have to assume is actually the name of one of the taverns. I don't know. Maybe it's what uh, maybe it's what Little Miss Muffet called her war camp. I mean, Bo Peep was a warlord after all. Do you think Bo Peep and Miss Muffet were competing warlords? Oh my god, I love that story so much more than anything else we're watching. Also, he has line drawings of various townsfolk, which remind me of, which actually look a lot like Discworld illustrations to me. Hmm. And if you are watching along with us, first of all, I'm sorry you watched this episode. But also, if you are watching along with us, go ahead and get to this moment. It's, uh... But if you are watching with us and you decide it's worth it to pause on this screen, please check out the glorious facial hair on the line drawing of the guy in the lower left corner of his Pepe de Silvia board. I mean, that is a mustache. Look at that. I just... Uh, who is that guy? You know who that guy is? He's my MVP extra. Your MVP extra of the episode is a drawing David did of a gentleman with a mustache? Yes. All right. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. So, David... Wait, I'm sorry. One more thing. All right. He also has the card that Rumpelstiltskin gave him that he told Snow that he was going to burn. So, he just has this out in the living room, indicating probably that he has no intention of ever waking her up again, or else he wouldn't have the thing that he told Snow that he burned on display. Or maybe he's just dumb. I'm also having a hard time breaking down what happened when in this episode. Because it seems like Hook's appointment with Archie was going on at the same time Snow was having coffee with Regina. But clearly that can't be the case because he went from that appointment to meeting with David. And this is at least a day after Snow White had her appointment with Regina. Because David's awake, so Snow White needs to be back in the coma. Right. Unless she was only awake for, like, four hours. I mean, she woke up, she had tea with Regina, and then she was like, oh my god, so much drama, I'm going back to bed. Okay, solid, I guess. I mean, not really, because... Snow White is a messy bench who loves drama, so why would she? So why would this not invigorate her? Mm. Drama gives her electrolytes. Anyway, David tells Hook that he's been seeing his father's ghost, and he wants to figure out who murdered his father. And Hook, Hook's like, David, ghosts aren't real. Which, I mean, he's just doubting that David saw a ghost, but also, like, really? I, I mean. You, you've been to hell. I hate how much this episode makes me be on Hook's side because, you know, we also turned a corner on Hook when he tried to send Emma's entire family to hell. But David keeps on shit-talking him this episode. I'm like, oh, poor Hook, even though he is demonstrably a bad person. Well, it's because the things David is complaining about aren't actually the issues with Hook. And Hook tries to talk him out of this. Hook is like, Um, dude, your family needs you. Why are you going off on this ridiculous side quest? And David's like, um, my dad's my family too. 
Yeah, he's like, I can't just abandon one family for another family. You're not doing that. Your dad is dead. He is a dead person. And speaking of your family, Hook points out maybe Emma would be better for this mission since she's the sheriff and the savior and, oh, I don't know, has magic? He says, and she, you know, has magic, which is a little too modern slangy for Hook, but it's also great. It is a great line reading. I will let it go. He sounds so tired when he says it. Ugh, and then David is like, well, we're going to do evil shit, so I need you here to do the evil shit so that my heart doesn't get any blacker since you're already evil. Fuck, David. Yes, yeah, seriously. So back in the other plot of this episode, Regina borrowed the book from Henry and is showing Robin his story. And he's like, I don't really see anything about the two of us banging in here. And she's like, that happened later. But also, she has the page that has the two of them banging. I think she should have shown him the page. Didn't she, like... No, she tore it up, but then she taped it back together. Yeah. Ugh, God, that would be a lot to explain. I guess she could have fixed it with magic. Or she could have told him the whole story. Yeah. So, this story time is interrupted by the doorbell. Oh my God, it's Selena. Oh, good, it's Selena. And she's... So, you know how we just did that tonal difference thing where I was annoyed that it's Selena and you were like fake happy that it's selena yes yeah that's this scene what the hell does selena even want in this scene she's upset but what is she even upset about okay no this is great she's upset because regina brought in alternate other robin and that she didn't tell him about his baby and also that he can't have the baby because it's her baby and not his baby right she she's she's angry throughout the whole conversation but her motive for being angry changes about three times in the course of a couple sentences yeah i know Zelina's like you get in there and you tell him that he has a daughter a daughter he can't see because she's mine Uh, Zelina, what are you even doing except being here because rebecca mater contractually had to appear in a certain number of episodes this season it's so weird why are you angry about her not telling him he has a daughter if you don't want him to see the daughter i i i Anyways, Elena goes away, and Regina goes back inside to find that Robin has gone out the window. There are other doors in this house. <laughs> there are other doors in this house. Is it just a character thing that he's required to leave via window? Okay, I think that this says something about this very clearly not being her Robin. Two ways. Okay. First, he slept in her house. Something real Robin never seemed to want to do for some reason. Yeah, it's true. He always slept outside. Two, he hasn't done concerned badger face once. It's the same actor, and that was one of his go-to things as Robin. It hasn't appeared once with Wish vs. Robin. Oh, you're right. The actor is making conscious choices to show that this is a different person. But you know what he does have in common with the old Robin? A rivalry with the Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah... Yes, Robin has gone out the window, but the book is open to a page showing him squaring off with the Sheriff of Nottingham. So Regina realizes that he's gone off to kill Nottingham. He did ask her, is everyone in this book in the town? Now, had we seen the Sheriff of Nottingham in Storybrooke? We must have, right? We did. He had sex with Lacey against a building while she was on a date with Rumple. Oh, right. And then right. Rump- And then Rumpel made her horny by beating the shit out of him. Right. How come I haven't seen more Nottingham Lacey shippers? 
Seriously. That's the kind of ship I'm here for. I really like this show's take on Nottingham, which is fairly close to typical Nottingham in that he's just kind of a slimy dirtbag guy. Like, he's not, strictly speaking, evil. He's just kind of a douchebag. Yeah, and I kind of like, you know, guy who's not evil but is an asshole hooking up with Lacey, girl who's not evil but is kind of a bitch. Yeah. Like, man, I want more of that. That's what I'm shipping right now. Uh, She could have had a three-way with him and Will Scarlet. I don't think Will Scarlet would have been down with that. Remember, Will Scarlet was a merry man. And are the Merry Men against threesomes for whatever reason? No, they're against the Sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, right. (laughs) So, in Modern Day Storybook, we see the Sheriff of Nottingham walking down the street, drinking his uh, coffee out of the coffee cup, and I just love how modern they make him look. He looks so disassociated from the whole Robin Hood thing. Oh, but Robin Hood, Robin Hood does not care. Robin Hood fires an arrow. And the Sheriff Nottingham is like, oh my god, is that the ironic archer? And Robin Hood's like, I wasn't here for that season. I don't get that reference. Or or conversely, I have always been the ironic archer. Ooh, ooh, yeah. We have, it's been a while since we've discussed who the ironic archer might be. It might be Wish First Robin Hood. Yes. But it turns out that Robin Hood missed on purpose because he wanted to stab the Sheriff of Nottingham okay, to well, death. Okay, he, you, you didn't mention, he shoots the Sheriff of Nottingham's coffee cup out of his hand. You only do that kind of shot on purpose. I don't know. I'm, I'm just thinking about that one, that one bit in uh, King of the Hill. Remember in the episode where Dale reconnects with his dad? Uh-huh. Because he's getting, like, remarried to Nancy. Uh-huh. And he see and... He sees his dad talking to Nancy at the bridal shop, and he assumes that he's hitting on her. So he throws a knife, and it hits a mannequin. He's like, next time I'm going to aim at the mannequin and hit you. <laughs> right? Next time I'm going to aim at the coffee cup and hit you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Robin, Robin takes advantage of the Sheriff of Nottingham being off balance from getting his coffee cup shot out of his hand to jump on his back and pull out a giant, scary, serial killer looking knife. Yeah, where did that come from? That is not on brand for you, Robin Hood. That's also not something you find in fairy tale land. I mean, it, it's a hunting knife. It looks more like something you'd buy if you were like, well, yeah, a hunter. But like a modern day hunter who spends a lot of money on hunting. I don't know. Well, Regina gave him clothes that were presumably real Robin's clothes. So maybe it was in the pocket or something. Mm. So... He's about to shank modern-day Sheriff of Nottingham. He's about to fucking decapitate him with a hunting knife. And modern-day Sheriff of Nottingham's like, I'm not the guy you're angry at on, like, a couple of levels. And I'm like, oh my god, why didn't we get more of this guy? He's hilarious. I mean, if the show was so intent on giving us so much Robin Hood, why couldn't we have more Nottingham? But Regina saves him by bamfing him away, presumably not to a sex dungeon this time around. Remember when her mom tried to set her up with him and she bamfed him into a sex dungeon? I do remember that. I'm kidding. It was a regular dungeon. I guess any dungeon can be a sex dungeon if you uh, put your mind to it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Regina tells Robin that he shouldn't want vengeance because in the end he'll be sad about it because if he sticks around Storybrooke long enough, they'll eventually... The good guys will eventually redeem him and then he'll feel guilty about all the vengeance he took. Also... 
This is literally a different guy who you've literally never interacted with. Yeah, I mean... He just looks the same as the guy that you're pissed at. Yeah, but their realities didn't diverge until after a lot of the shit that Robin's mad about, so... Eh. It's weird that Wish First Robin Hood's Wish First Sheriff of Nottingham was the same age as this guy. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean... I don't want to worry too much about time. Especially, we spent so much time talking about that last episode when it really does not matter. Oh, oh, hey, um, as long as we're talking about Robin Hood and how frustrating this is for Regina and just this whole thing that's happening, mm-hmm. I have to point out something that I didn't even think about until Ryan put it on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Listener Ryan. Um... David made a wish that the evil queen would get exactly what she deserved. And almost instantly what happened is the events that would put the Wish vs. Robin plot into play. Ah. Yeah. Ah. And Wish vs. Robin really is the evil queen getting what she deserved on a few levels. It's... Spoiler alert for how they end up resolving these subplots. Right. But, well, so I'll just leave it at that. But, well, but I mean, both in the good sense, getting what she deserved, and in the punishment sense, getting what she deserved. We're not spoilery bleeping stuff anymore, because we're so close to the end, you guys. Yeah. So close. So, so David is taking Hook into the backyard of Emma's house, because Emma took a bunch of potions from Regina's tomb... I guess they weren't actually clearing it out. She was just taking random potions when we saw them moving stuff out of Regina's vault not well, too long ago. Well, he says Regina gave her potions, and that makes sense because Emma has reached the lab course portion of her magic study. So it makes sense that she would have the potions close so that she could do magics and study it. Also, she seems to have the science chemistry set that they set up for Jekyll and Frankenstein in her shed as well. Weird. Yeah. I thought, like, initially I thought they were moving all of the stuff out of the vault and Emma would have it so the evil queen wouldn't be able to get access to it, but then that turned out not to be the case a few episodes later, but now they do still have some of her stuff in the backyard. I don't know. I'm okay with believing that Emma has potion stuff in her own backyard so that she doesn't have to go to the evil queen's vault every time she wants to practice making potions. So... David is being a real dick. David is being a huge douche here. He's like, look... I don't want Emma to know what's going on in case this goes down a dark path, but you're her boyfriend, so you have the key to her, you know... Magic shed? To her magic shed. So what I need you to do is I need you to stand guard and look out for teachers while I go smoke in the back. Yeah, Hook is like, um, I'm not comfortable stealing a bunch of shit from my girlfriend slash your daughter, and David is like, shut up, you're evil, stand guard and give me the key. Like, what a dick. He's such a mean girl here, though. Like, I know that's not the weight of this situation, but it really does feel like he's a a, a mean girl telling a nerd to look out for teachers while he smokes in the back. Yeah, it does. So, back in fairy tale land... Back in the past. Back in the past... Dadvid has gone to Rumpelstiltskin to ask for help finding his son. Not David, the James one who went missing. Right. And Rumblestiltskin's like, we made a deal. I'm not going to give you your son back. And Dadvid's like, okay, not that, but just tell me where he is. 
And I know you have no way to understand what it's like being a father trying to locate a son. A I, son who he's estranged from. I know you can't understand what it's like to be a father who, through his own actions, ended up losing his son, but that's the situation I'm in right now. And Rumpel's like, ugh, fine. You, you managed to somehow tap into my backstory, so I'll tell you, he's on Pleasure Island. Yeah, Pleasure Island. Okay, obligatory part where i talk about how sad i am that orlando's pleasure island doesn't exist anymore it was a theme park style nightclub area what do you call an area that's got a bunch of nightclubs that's not a thing except it was and it was called pleasure island disney built it and themed it off the place where children and pinocchio go and get turned into donkeys for their sins why isn't it a thing anymore it's a great place to oh, it was a great place to you know Get Disney-themed drinks, listen to Disney-themed adult comedy shows, see Disney-themed strippers. Like, you're joking, but only one of those things is not true. Yeah, I guess one of the reasons they probably shut it down was for brand integrity. That's such a big thing now, right? Yeah, probably. And that makes me angry and sad. It was so great. That's why they don't have these shows where you can see Chewbacca dance. Why doesn't Chewbacca dance anymore, Tina? Chewbacca was trying to dance like no one's looking, but now everybody's watching. So, as a token thing, because all blah 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 comes with a price, he takes some of Dad Vid's hair and he's like, Look, your kid's on Pleasure Island. Leave me alone. So I can sadly stare off into the middle distance and think about my kid. Does him taking Dad Vid's hair ever come to anything? I don't think it does. Okay. It's just he can't give anyone anything for free. Right, it's like the rule. So in the present, Hook is standing guard, and Emma comes home, and instead of being like, your dad has fucking lost it and he's in your shed, which is what he should say, he stops Emma from going into the shed. Okay, so Emma is taking Henry on a kayaking trip. Sure, why not? And she's like, Henry forgot the life vest, and since since you're always, you know, being such a dick about boat safety, I figured I should run back here and grab some on this family. I, I... I don't associate pirates with boat safety, I gotta tell you. Yeah. Also, yeah. What? I So many questions. So you're taking your kid kayaking. Well, what's wrong with that? It seems like a weird time for it. I mean, I guess it's not because... They're always in danger of some sort. It just seems really weird that suddenly Emma's going kayaking with Henry and I guess Hook can't really kayak. That's why he's not coming. I'm sure he could figure out a way to kayak. Okay, yeah, probably, I guess. He can, like, put the oar inside of his hook and, like, hold the other one steady with his other hand. He could totally kayak. Okay. I don't know why he'd want to. Why would any human being want to kayak? But, yes, for some reason, Hook chooses not to tell emma about david rummaging through her stuff and he's like uh i was just standing here doing nothing and i was like you know i have a superpower that can tell when you're lying right i know you might have forgotten it because it basically never comes up but also you're going to answer that with a lie and i'm just gonna let it go well he is telling her a truth which is that he went to see Archie, and Archie told him to share his feelings, and also he loves her. 
Yes. Yeah. These are all things that are technically true, but not actually answers to her questions. Yeah, okay, okay. Technicalities. So he does manage to distract her long enough for David to get out of the shed. And David's like, let's go find who murdered my dad. And Huck's like, oh. Okay, so question for things that are going to become relevant at the end of this episode. Why is Hook being so helpful in this quest to find out who killed David's dad? Did he forget that he was the one who killed David's dad? Did he never know? I mean, I guess there is no reason for him to associate random dude he stabbed with David. I mean, in a second, we're going to find out that August didn't associate random dude who took a kid away from Pleasure Island with his dad, so... Fair. So... So Regina is down in her vault with Robin Hood, explaining to him why he should stop seeking vengeance. And he's like, oh, really? What's in that file cabinet? And she says, the hearts of my enemies. But she says it all sheepish, like, okay, the hearts of my enemies. This scene makes me really love her, even more if that's even possible. And uh, he points at another object, which is unnecessary after the whole file cabinet with the hearts of my enemies i mean honestly that was you won you won the argument after that robin you don't have to point out the scary pandora box that she trapped her dad in after that i said pandora box it wasn't pandora's box was something else but it's the box that she was carrying her her shrunken dad around in oh okay i was wondering about the box because he's like what is this and she's like it's a very powerful weapon yeah and then she puts it away it's the box that shrunk her dad down Oh, I sort of assumed that wasn't a box. I, th- I thought she just used magic to do that, and it was just, like, a box. Oh, okay. In that case, I don't know what box it is, but let's just assume everything in Regina's vault is bad and don't touch it. Yes. So, Regina heals Robin's hand. She brought him here to heal his hand. Why? She doesn't use anything in this vault to heal his hand. She just does it with her own magic. Also, how did his hand get injured when he was From attacking? punching... Sheriff of Nottingham. All right. You always forget in fit. Well, in fiction, they always make punching seem like something that doesn't actively hurt your hand to do. Yeah, no, it fucks your hand up. Yeah, it hurts a lot. That is one of the things I appreciated with early Buffy. Whenever they had Xander punch someone, he was out of the action after that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they ended up losing that later, but... At some point, fight choreography has to be more important than realism. Speaking of... I love this fact. The only fight scene in Buffy where one of the Buffy actors got injured Uh was the The slap fight. Yes, it was the Xander Harmony fight. That makes sense because you could like scratch someone up bad in a slap fight. I mean, because it's it's flailing, you know, you're flailing. You're not you're not moving with like intention. Also, it's one of the few fights that they did that didn't involve stunt people at all because it was all up close the two of them face shots oh that's true although i mean as everyone knows nicholas brendan's stunt double is his twin brother so they could have done it true did someone get their cornea scratch i assume that's the injury that happened i have i don't remember i just remember reading a thing where this was the only fight where one of the actual buffy actors got injured okay i'm gonna assume it was scratched cornea because that seems like what would happen in a slap fight also, that is one of my all-time favorite Buffy scenes because it, it's two characters who don't know how to fight kind of pushing and pulling at each other while the regular dramatic fight music plays in the background. That is a good way to have discordant music make something funnier once upon a time. Right? Oh, I was just watching a very similar fight in the show Future Man. I was rewatching season one since season two just dropped. 
the scene between him and his alternate uh, present self. No, no, the scene where he's fighting the chemist in the parking lot and Tiger and Wolf are watching on and they're like, no, no, I think he's got this because neither of them are fighters and it's just, and at the end Tiger's like, that's the worst, most boring fight I've ever seen. But you did technically win it. (laughs) Anyway, Regina tells Robin that she thinks that they could be in love and maybe they should like get to that, which is weird and awkward because he's not your Robin. Like, he's literally a different person. He he has, like, a similar backstory and he looks the same. They share a super awkward kiss. They share a, uh... Joey and Rachel kiss? Yeah, they share a Mark and June from Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 level kiss where neither one of them is into it. Yeah. They just kiss and Robin's like, and my alternate version guy was into that. And Regina's like, Ugh. It's so painful. Regina, he's not your Robin. He doesn't have the history the two of you have. All of this subplot is just so awkward and uncomfortable. Which it should be, I guess. But it's also not dramatic in the way it should. It's She made a very, very big decision that didn't go the way she thought it should. And now she's just sort of dealing with... The fallout? Or... I don't know. Fallout seems a little intense. It's She realizes that something just isn't working out. Yeah. Like, it's not a disaster. It's nothing. Ugh. Okay. The next scene is the one I was alluding to earlier. David and Hook are in the loft, in the charming loft. And they're trying to make a potion... And it's clearly a scene that is written comedically, but the music is still dramatic. Like, David reads a part of the spell and it sa- and says, it says turn counterclockwise. Do they mean the beaker or us? And Hook's like, to be safe, I think we should turn around. And they do like a little dorky spin. And this is clearly supposed to be a joke, but the music is still like, Duh. Yeah, it, it, it actually... The scene we were talking about a little bit ago is a good contrast where, you know, they play the super dramatic music when Xander and Harmony are fighting, but that just emphasizes how ridiculous it is. This is way too middle ground. They didn't push it far enough. They should be doing it in slow motion as they, you know, take the tiny steps to turn around and from all these dramatic angles. And I mean, I think they should have just leaned into this being a comedy scene since this was clearly supposed to be. It's this is all it's all very it's all very weird. Yeah. This whole episode, I didn't notice it so much when we were just watching it, but actually talking about it, it's a real uncomfortable. Like the whole episode is Discordant? I, know, I was gonna say sweaty, which I know <laughs> is it's normally a thing you say about, you know, jokes that aren't working out or you know, comedy routines where it's all very labored. Uh-huh. I don't know if you can still use it for drama stuff, but this whole episode feels sweaty. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Anyway, they do the spell, which is your basic scrying spell, and they discover that on the night that David's father died, he first went to Pleasure Island. How is that helpful? I mean, um... Well, I mean, we'll see. It actually, it does lead them in the right direction, but only because of a massive coincidence. All right. 
so Pleasure Island, a place in slash near the Enchanted Forest. But also off the coast of Neverland. That seems difficult. Doesn't matter, it's where it is. So, they have electricity here. Yes, there's electricity on the, yes, there's electricity on Pleasure Island. The whole deal with Pleasure Island is that it's a fairground. Yeah, it looks like a carnival. It's like a carnival where you can get drunk. I guess that's a regular carnival. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, it's a carnival that is, it's a carnival that, first of all, is free. Or at least, you don't pay with money. And also, it includes things that children would want. So, like the bottle toss. Instead of throwing a ball at milk bottles and trying to knock them down, you just throw glass bottles at the wall and smash them. I mean, it's kind of... Yeah. It's cute. Someone had some fun coming up with this. Yeah, the background stuff in this... Honestly, I know I already named the MVP Extra... But really, everyone in this scene is an MVP extra. Whoever designed this particular set and this particular scene did it very lovingly. They thought a lot about what Pleasure Island would be and would look like. I like the woman with the presumably fake demon wings. Yeah, right? She's just a goth chick who's got wings. I'm into it. So, Dadvid can't find James, so he sits down temporarily and encounters... Pinocchio. Different new CG Pinocchio. Yes. Yes. It is a CGI Pinocchio, and as you say, it's different than the last time we saw him, but Pinocchio is made out of wood here. He looks a lot more like classic Disney Pinocchio. They did kind of a different design thing with him the first time we saw the CGI puppet guy. I feel like this Pinocchio moves more and smoother than the last time we saw him CGI. Oh yeah, definitely. I can't tell if it's just technology advancing or if like the redesign helped uh, yeah i couldn't say either but I, I i think it's new technology because it's just so much better yeah so pinocchio's you know automatic lie detector thing goes off and dadfit is redonkulously quick on the uptake yeah he asks if pinocchio has seen james and pinocchio's like no and then his nose grows and then he's like does that mean you're lying and pinocchio's like no and it makes his nose grow more and Dadvid beats up a small boy puppet until he tells him where James is. <laughs> what a hero. So James is just asleep somewhere. He's passed out in the back of the sugar pit, a place where you just eat fistfuls of sugar. So I assume Ugh. he was on a sugar high and now he is crashing. So Dadvid is like, hey, do you want to leave this place and go home? And Kid James is like, no, my dad's super abusive and he's turning me into a murdering sociopath and I don't want to be a murdering sociopath. And Dadvid's like, don't worry, no child I raise is going to turn into a murdering sociopath. I guess you can't really be turned into a sociopath. That's like a thing you're born with. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Also, I'm not trying to smack talk sociopaths. I'm sure you guys are great. Should any sociopaths be listening. To be fair, James does not say that his father is abusive, just that his father wants him to be a knight and kill people. And he's like, I don't want to kill people, which is supposed to be an ironic contrast with what we know James became. But honestly, it's just an ironic contrast with what David is. I I know it's because we didn't spend all that much time with James. And granted, James did genocide the giants. Yep. Yeah, he did. But that was very easy because there were like four of them. I'm just saying like. And he missed one. 
I just say, like, David probably has a bigger body count than James. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know Giants, blah, 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 but <laughs> I'm not saying per tonnage. I'm saying per murders committed. We go from this scene to Modern Storybook, where Hook and David are interrogating August, who remembers this guy, remembers this encounter, but, you know, didn't know that it was David's dad, so never brought it up. Why would he? Yeah, he just, well, I have timeline questions here. Oh, yay, what is time? All right, so Pinocchio knew James as a kid, but Pinocchio is also a contemporary of Emma, who is David's daughter. He was, like, five when she was a baby. Yes. So he was just a puppet through all of David's growing up. Well, also, in the Pinocchio story, this Pleasure Island bit doesn't fit in either. Oh, wait, no, 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 this fits in, because he becomes a real boy after the Pleasure Island stuff. Yeah, he escapes, and that leads to the Monstro thing. But, like... He needs to be a wooden boy for at least 20-odd more years for this timeline to work out. Yeah. Yeah. So, what? What? Sucks to be him, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming he was a puppet and then trapped inside of the whale for, like, a significant portion of time. Well, remember, they didn't enter Monstro. Oh, right, I forgot that this story addressed when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's August. It's not worth worrying about. I like how they're including all of these characters in more episodes just because they went through the, you know, bother of bringing them back for... Like, they're like, we already got the guy who played August back for one episode. We need to find a way to loop him in for another. Yeah, I guess so. I'm I'm also assuming that's why Dr. Hopper's appearing a lot more this season. Yeah, I wonder if they shot off his scenes at once dr hopper yeah Hmm. now pinocchio august tells them that when he encountered david's father he was stone cold sober also he was going to bring james home to raise him correctly how did he know that he was sober you were a puppet boy do you have any context for what a drunk versus sober guy even looks like especially a person who's a functional alcoholic thank you i was about to say this is a guy who takes drinking very seriously apparently so but whatever. David is happy to hear that his dad didn't break his promise, and they're thankful that August got brought back last episode so he could be here to tie up this plot thread. Yeah, August also tells him there's more pages to his story about Pleasure Island that he took out of Henry's book, so he'll give them to David and Hook in case it's any help. Hey, that's a reference to season one. Season one! When he took those pages out of the book. And also put different pages in. Yeah, which... Eh. I'm just saying, at the time, I didn't think he took any pages out. I thought he only put pages in. Yeah. I I don't know. So as they're leaving August's... I guess he's working in Marco's shop. Yeah, I think that's right. Because they're downtown. They're on Main Street. Yeah, as they're leaving Marco's shop, uh, Hook's like, so have you reconsidered the revenge thing at all? And David's all, so you've you've really changed. You're not into revenge anymore. Because that was your whole big deal for the first part of the show. And... Hook's like, yeah, I'm, I'm over it. I'm a good person now. And then he tries to segue into, I'm a good person because your daughter has changed me. And as long as we're on the subject of your daughter. But David has no time for this. He handcuffs him to a bike rack because he needs to go commit some revengeance. 
I mean, as you said when you were watching this episode, that's why you don't stand next to a bike rack. Yeah. There's no good reason to stand next to a bike rack. Yep. Back in the past, Dadvid is taking James and getting ready to go home when King George finds them and is like, oh, hey, there's my son. Good job. Here's your reward money. And Dadvid's like, no, he's my son. Rumpelstiltskin took him from me and I want to raise him now. And the king's like, oh, that's adorable. Guards, go kill him. Honestly, though, before he tells the guards to kill him, he's like, okay, well, I bought him from you once, so I feel like I don't have to kill you. I just have to give you another gold coin. And Dadvid is like, no, not this time. So, you know, this way we know he was a good guy. I guess. Teeny James is like, don't let him take me. I'm a child or whatever. He does have giant child actor eyes so that you know that, like, he should be protected. Yes. So King George orders his guards to kill him and he'll give them extra money. He tells them to make it look like an accident, which, you're the king. Yeah, like, you What? (laughs) What? Just, you didn't have to make it look like an accident. You could have just locked him in your dungeon and been done with it. So I guess James knew he was adopted. I don't think it really changes the dynamics at all, but... I actually think that this is, I actually think this was an important point. This is why James is so mad at David. Oh, right, in the underworld. Yeah, because David was raised by this nice guy who tried to save him from his... Well, he wasn't. Right, but he doesn't know that. From James's point of view, all he knows is that David's father was a nice guy who tried to save James and was killed for it, so it's well, not fair. That's he wasn't raised by him. He had him around for like five years and then... Oh, well, yeah, that too. I thought your point was that he wasn't a nice guy. No, no, my point was he wasn't raised by him. Eh, all these things are true. But I can see from James's point of view how you'd be like, God damn it, I got the short end of this baby swap. So David bursts into King George's cell, which I guess this resolves what happened to King George, who disappeared from the plot after he framed Ruby for murder in season two. Yeah, there you go. He's in, He's been in prison this whole time. There was a deleted scene where it was revealed David was keeping him in a cave. What? Yeah, but that scene got deleted. There's a bit later in, it, uh, later in season two where David asks him for advice and he's holding him prisoner in a cave. But I guess that's non-canon because it was a deleted scene. And... and also that doesn't really fit with what they want us to think David's character is, so I'm glad. It seems odd that Storybrooke has a prison that we've never really seen before, because this isn't the asylum and this isn't the holding cell. Correct. This is a completely different prison. It's weird. It is weird. So David's like, I'm going to kill you for killing my dad, but because I have honor, I'm going to give you a knife. Yeah, and then that old man fights a lot better than David was expecting. Not good enough, though. No, David still manages to get him almost to the point of decapitation when Hook bursts in and is like, no, don't kill him. And then David holds his knife to Hook's throat like he's going to decapitate him instead. I love how Hook just walks casually into the room, throws David against a wall, and then throws King George back in the prison cell. Like, he separates these two so easily. Yeah. I Yes, this episode really makes it look like Hook is just so much better a fighter than David, which we know isn't true. I think they're equally matched. Yeah. David's definitely had more experience killing people, maybe. Yeah. 
Hook was doing it longer, but David was doing a lot of it at once. True, true. Anyway, Hook is like, um, he told you about how your father was honorable at the end, so just let that be enough and let's move on. And then David's like, no, don't you understand? This has to do with me. What if I'm not good enough to save my family? How does this connect? I don't get how it connects either. He's like, my dad wasn't strong enough to not be murdered by King George, and therefore how am I going to protect Emma from Gideon? If I can't even avenge my father's death, what kind of man am I? And Hook's like, hey, hey, shut up. This is a stupid problem, and you're stupid. Your dad is dead, and you didn't see him in hell. Remember that time I sent you to hell? (laughs) You didn't see him in hell, so clearly he moved on, and you're just a big hallucinating baby. That's not a real ghost. Grow the fuck up. And David falls to his knees crying, and Hook gives him the manly side hug of comfort. I mean, he disarms him first. He disarms him first, but it's a hug where both of the parties are very actively trying not to touch each other. (laughs) Oh, the no homo hug. So, meanwhile, back in the flashback, the King's Guards are getting ready to murder Dadvid and make it look like an accident. Yeah, and Dadvid is like, you won't get away with this! And they're like, we clearly will. I mean, the King told us to do it. And you're a drunk asshole. What do you mean they... In what universe do we not get away with this? Oh no, the cops are going to be looking for us. This is fake medieval times. There are no cops. Honestly, if there were cops, we would be them. Right? We're the king's thugs. We're essentially cops. So they're getting ready to murder him when we cut back to David holding the coin flip coin in the present. And crying, thinking about how his dad was really a good man, which he wasn't. He still wasn't a good man. He didn't fuck up once. So he throws the coin. He's standing at the edge of the docks with his dad's ghost looking at the coin. And he throws the coin into the water and his dad's ghost orbs out. Yeah, so I guess that indicates that it was a real ghost and probably attached to the coin, which explains why the evil queen was cursing David when she gave it to him. Like, she probably did something to it to make that happen. I guess. And, of course, water breaks spells, as we know from Teen Witch. And also real magic. And also real magic. So, Hook shows up and he's like, so, have you decided to, you know, not be a big baby? And David's like, yeah, I really owe you one. And Hook's like, cool, because I'm going to ask your daughter to marry me. And now's a great time for me to spring this on you because you can't say no without looking like a huge dick now. I mean, he's right, right? Yeah. I mean, David literally just said, I owe you anything you want. I I owe you a huge one. So. And, and Hook is like, oh, well, as long as you owe me things, how about your daughter? Gross. Gross. And then this is where you said David is like, yes, you have my blessing. Although, of course, she is her own woman. Yes, she is a modern woman who can make her own decisions. Isn't that right, audience? See, we're progressive even though we're doing this story for some reason. We're super woke. So woke. The wokest. We are, as the kids say, awake. (laughs) And, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Now the two of them can... I, I 
they've done this plot with Hook and David so many times. Yeah, where David comes to accept Hook. Like, David has come to accept Hook five or six times at this point. This was literally the plot in season three. Oh, and then, and then Hook is like, oh, you know, it's going to be hard to live up to Prince Charming, which is also really gross. Like, no. Remember, you're in competition with your girlfriend's dad. No. No. So, David is back in the magic coma so Mary Margaret can have another tea time with Regina. That's basically all Mary Margaret gets to do when she's awake, which is weird. Anyway, Mary Margaret asks Regina if she told him about the baby, and she did. But then she brings up the fact that she kissed him and it was awkward because he's not Robin. She's like, you were right, Mary Margaret. And Mary Margaret's like, oh, God, say it again. Mary Margaret is into people telling her she's right. Yep, that is accurate. And Regina's like, I just, I don't get why he came over to this country. Like, why he managed to make the jump from wish verse to real verse if it wasn't for me to bone him. Well, she thinks that, she thinks that he wouldn't have been able to come over to the real world if he didn't have Robin's soul inside of him, which... Is spurious logic at best? They never established that Wishverse people can't come over to our world. And if you can use a magic bean to travel from the Wishverse to our world, if anything, that would imply that you can bring anyone over. Again, it's the vengeance demon wish thing. If it's a small enough wish, you just alter the reality you're in. If it's a big enough wish, then you send someone to an alternate reality. Yeah. And even if this world was made by the Wish, which is what I believe, I believe it was made by the Wish, that doesn't make it less real. This is a world, with, this is a world where magic exists. You can't say things that were created by magic are not real. Yeah, Dawn was a real person, not to keep going to the Buffy well. But we do. Yeah, but like, if Buffy needed a kidney transplant, they could get it from Dawn. Would she be a 100% match for Buffy? Probably. I mean, she's basically a clone. That would set off some alarm bells for the doctors. Yeah, probably. So, we cut to Regina's vault where we see Robin stealing the dangerous box because Robin hasn't given up on vengeance. But this is just a tease for later episodes. That's not going to get resolved this episode. What is going to get resolved-ish this episode is August giving Hook the extra pages that he tore out of the storybook for, you know, context. Yep. So August gives the pages to Hook to give to David, and Hook is like, yep, I'm going to get right on that. I do like how August points out that he only really paid attention to the parts that were about him. Yeah, he says to he says to Hook, there's nothing in these pages that David doesn't already know, which is not true, but August was just not paying attention, I guess. So we cut to what's in those pages and get our final reveal. So Captain Hook shows up and murders the two guards who are about to murder Dadvid. Just to steal from them. He was stealing from them. Like a pirate. No, not like a pirate, because he's on land. Like a highwayman. So. Like a last, like the last Saskatchewan pirates. So he kills the two guards, and then he goes ahead and kills Dadvid. Well, yeah, he's just stealing. He can't have Dadvid running back to the king and saying that a pirate, a land pirate, stole all of the gold. So, yeah, he's going to kill him, too. I love that Dadvid tries the same thing that worked on Rumpelstiltskin. He's like, please, 
I have a son. And do you do you know what it's like for a son to have his father abandon him? And Hook's like, you know what? That is actually my backstory, but it's not going to work this time. Yeah, he just swords him through the chest and it, it, that sword goes right through him. Like hot butter. Yep. Like, like a, a knife, knife through, through hot, hot butter. butter. Like a hot knife through butter. Like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> hot butter is liquid. So I guess a sword would go through it pretty easily. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's weird is Hook is presumably leaving the dead guards there, but he still goes through the trouble of making it look like a card accident. I don't know. It's so dumb. I don't get why... This... It can't be worth it. They didn't have... We're on episode 12 of the last season of this show. We do not have time to introduce a new conflict with Hook. I just... Just from a... A, why is he on land robbing people? He's a pirate. B, why would you murder the king's guard? To steal money. I, I get it. Okay, now to be fair, he's on land... But at this point, they're not in King George's territory or even, I don't think, David's realm, whatever that realm was. I think that they're still very close to Pleasure Island. And you'll remember that Hook did runs between Neverland and the Enchanted Forest. So this is probably close to where his run is. Except, you know, it's on land. He was probably on shore leave drinking at a nearby tavern when he came upon this. We shouldn't have to think this hard about it. Also, like, I know this... He's on his killing Rumpelstiltskin thing. He had runs from Neverland to the to the Enchanted Forest, I guess, maybe. This is one of those things where shouldn't he have still been in Neverland for all this time? No, Peter Pan was making him do runs. And he took a break from that to rob some people? Why? No, it it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. What is the... (laughs) You know what would have made more sense? What? If Robin had killed them. Pre-Marion becoming a good guy Robin. Oh, wait. But the time wouldn't have worked out because he's a child. I just... I don't... I don't... I just, I, <laughs> there's so many issues with this. It's, it's a manufactured conflict that doesn't work within the backstory we've been given for these characters. Which is something you get a lot in the later seasons of Once Upon a Time, but this, I don't know why this bothers me so much more. Maybe it's because you care so little about both these characters that you're annoyed that they're breaking the backstory, that they're breaking the continuity in order to make you have more episodes about them. So anyway, Hook obviously does not give these pages to David, but he does go home and run into Emma, who is making her special dinner, popcorn with milk duds in it. Microwave popcorn with milk duds. Which Max thinks is gross, and he is wrong. It's delicious. I mean, I guess I can see it. I do like uh, Salty and sweet. Corn. Yeah. Salty and sweet, my friend. Although I will say, you shouldn't do milk duds, because they're so chewy. You want something with a less chewy texture. Well, Milk Duds very recently got the ability to call what they're covered in chocolate. They weren't allowed to before. Well, the problem, is, the problem isn't the chocolate. It's the caramel that's inside the Milk Duds that make them so chewy. Um, you don't want to be doing that with popcorn in your mouth. So you're really better off doing it with, like, snow caps. Snow caps inside 
popcorn are great. Oh, you know what else? Uh, M&M's. I can see M&M's. M&M's inside popcorn. Or, and I know you don't like Junior Mints, but Junior Mints inside popcorn, also delicious. Mm. So, Emma comes up to Hook and she's like, you cool? You seem distracted. And, she's, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm totally cool. And that's the end of the episode. Yep. Definitely didn't murder your grandpa. Yep. So, I honestly didn't mind this episode when we were, we were watching it, but going over it, I'm like, this was not good. No, it was... It's unnecessary. It's totally weird. It doesn't give us any new backstory that we care about, and it doesn't enhance any character motivations in a way that's interesting. Yes, that's the thing. If they were adding unnecessary backstory that added new elements to the characters we know, that would be one thing, but this doesn't change things for any of the characters. This is the very definition of a wheel-spinning episode that does nothing. I mean, I guess we've introduced the fact that Regina can't just doink this Robin Hood and have everything be cool. Okay, yeah, but that could have been the subplot of any episode. Yeah. Yeah, this was just... This was just not a great episode. I mean... And and not in the fun-to-talk-about way, either. There's a run of not-great episodes coming. So, honestly... Honestly... This whole season is just set up to get you excited for the musical episode because at least, at least when the musical episode gets here, you'll get to be like, wait, what the fuck even? There's some cool Black Fairy stuff coming up. But yeah. Okay, so Fashion Corner, I don't want to call out any one outfit in particular, but the design of all of the background people in Pleasure Island was great. I loved the design of Pleasure Island. I agree with you there. I also thought Regina looked great in a maroon dress. You know, surprise, Regina looked great. The Pleasure Island aesthetic is cool because it's not welcoming. It, it's... It's goth carnival. It's goth carnival, which does work. They have, like, clowns, but they're not supposed to be funny clowns, so they're less creepy than funny clowns. I mean, it's the kind of place where Chris Angel performs. Yes. It is the kind of place Chris Angel performs. And the one lady who is dressed kind of like a demon, I'm like, it's almost a Lornette outfit. Yes, it's like a it's like a sexy demon costume. It's like a Lornette outfit if they had wings and didn't have green skin. Yes. So do we have recommendations for other things inspired by this episode? Uh, well, I do. It's a slant one at best. That's okay, let's do it. But, uh... Mine is Peter and the Starcatcher. Oh, okay. Now, it's a series of books which I have not read by Dave Barry, but it is also a play which I was kind of reluctant to see and then enjoyed so much. I saw a community theater version of it. Uh Uh-huh. And we should see more community theater stuff. I always kind of, like, I this might be... I, I never really think of community theater as being as good as it is the few times we've actually gone. Okay, I did a lot of community theater in high school and then a little bit in college, and community theaters work really hard and put on great shows if it's a good theater. Um, oh, I actually I actually wrote down a community theater near us is doing Jesus Christ Superstar coming up, and I want to go see that. Oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, so... If you have the chance to see Peter and the Starcatchers, you can probably find an illegal upload of one of the plays on YouTube. 
it's not what you should do. You should find a local community theater that's hopefully doing or it. Or a regional theater who's or, doing it. Or a regional theater. Uh, because it's a really good play, and it's a really fun take on the Peter Pan mythos. All right. So, again, that's, like, really sideways related to this. I'm afraid I have no recommendation, because if I had one, it would to be it would be to go back in time to when you could go to Pleasure Island. And that's just a mean recommendation. That is a mean recommendation. Maybe you should cut that. Or, alternate version of that, since you can't go to actual Pleasure Island... Look up a bunch of Disney-themed drinks on the internet, make them, and get drunk. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. So I guess that'll about do it for this episode. Yeah, I guess that's it for this week. God, we're in the last ten episodes of... uh... We are in the home stretch of the regular season, and then we only have one more season to do. I actually did do the math and find out when our last episode is going to be. Our our last episode is going to be... is going to be in september in the first week of september wow so weird because you know i guess it's not weird the podcast started in september and it's a tv show so oh i hadn't thought about that yeah it's gonna end it's gonna end the same week of the year that it began huh Anyway, this show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to be one of those supporters, you can go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It's a good way to help other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the